Your way of life should be the one you choose, not the one you fear. The safe empowerment system for anxiety takes you out of the fear and into your power. Get the program at the special COVID discount of 50% off until further notice. Head over to quietbegins.com. Use the promo code BRAIN50 when checking out and download the system today. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. I got an email back in March that I read on the show, and um, I hadn't heard back from the person until just recently, and I'm going to read you both of them. They're very short. Uh, The first one said, hey, I listen to your podcast and they help me on a daily basis. I've been dealing with a dead end job and heavy anxiety and I keep falling back into the same loop where I feel like my life is going nowhere and I'm failing myself and my loved ones and it leads me to using drugs to help me deal with things. I feel lost and trapped in this vicious cycle. Any advice you could give me would be much appreciated. So that's the original email and when I got that, I thought, how am I going to help this person? I don't know what to say when everything is against you and your job sucks and you're taking drugs and there's just no, it feels like there's no way out of it. Um, that was an episode. If you want to hear it, uh, what did I call that? Let me look it up. It's called when life seems like an endless series of dead ends. So that might be useful for you if you are feeling like life is an endless series of dead ends. So I hadn't heard back and you know I when I create episodes I really want the episode to help the person writing and I really want the episode to help anyone else listening that might have issues in their life as well. So it is nice to get feedback every now and then to find out if the episode actually did help. And I did get feedback on this one and it's another short email, short and sweet. And it says this, Hey Paul, I hope you're well. I wrote to you a couple months ago, uh, several months actually, and you did a podcast on it. Since then, my life has changed drastically and for the better. I have done what I was scared to do and left my job for a better one. And I have never felt such relief. My anxiety is better and I've stopped taking drugs to cover up my problems. So I just want to say thank you for your help and wisdom. It's changed my life. You're an amazing person and truly do change lives. Much love. So, wow. I mean, that's the kind of response I absolutely want. I hope to get every time I create an episode or help someone out. And this sounds like what he heard on that show helped him out. I'm sure there were many, many steps that he had to, or she, I'm not sure, had to take that uh, were very difficult for him. But when life is throwing you all these curveballs and everything seems impossible and you feel like you're stuck and you have no options, you're going to have to take some big leap somewhere in one direction typically or in many directions sometimes in order for things to change. And I wanted to read both of these because... I don't know about you, but in my life, like in my 20s, maybe some a little bit in my 30s, I felt depressed. I felt like the world had nothing more to offer and why should I be here? What's the point? It felt like there was no meaning in life. It felt like I had no purpose. I certainly didn't feel joy. I certainly didn't feel any of the positive feelings that I wanted to feel and I saw other people feeling. And so I had to get through this period of my life 
that was extremely difficult because I really felt like there was no point. What's the point? I'm just unhappy. I'm just depressed. And this day is awful and the next day is going to be awful too. It's never going to end. That was my belief system. It was never going to end. But it always does. It always ends. And I know some people might be in a state of mind right now or a depressed state that disagrees with that because sometimes there's loss in our life and that loss brings sadness or terrible feelings that we don't want to feel. Or if it's not loss, it's a failure or just not being able to achieve anything or maybe you've achieved a lot and it's still not enough. You just can't find a way to find satisfaction in life. You're not alone. First of all, you're not alone. And if you're going through that now, it does transition into something better. It does. And if you don't believe me, I'm here to tell you that you don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes things happen out of the blue that can shift your mindset in a millisecond. It can change how you feel. It can change how you think. And I will say this, I don't know if it's half the time or more, but often when you take the leap into a direction, often that is how the mindset shifts. That is how you get out of the negative state and into a more fulfilling state, a more purposeful place. But that is a scary leap sometimes. And when you feel stuck and you feel like you have no options and you feel like there's nothing you can do, which I know is a redundant statement, <laughs> then it doesn't feel like things are going to get better ever. And if you walk around thinking they'll never get better, you might not make the right decisions. You might not make any decision or you might make bad decisions because you don't think it's going to get better. God, this reminds me of my first long-term relationship. As soon as we broke up, it was many, many years, over a decade, when she left, I just wanted to move away. I wanted to pack up our place and move away and never look back. And that was my immediate decision. I thought, there was no reason to stay. There's no reason to think that I'm going to be happy. This is my life from this point on. So I'm going to move uh, to closer to family so I can at least have some connection with somebody that loves me. That was my immediate thought, probably within a day or two after the breakup. Yeah, because we lived together, we owned a condo together, and I just didn't want to stay. Staying meant pain. So I did. I packed everything up in the house, and I gave what was her to her, and I was ready to go. And when you came into my place, it was full of boxes. I was ready. And for some reason, I think it was like a couple weeks later, I asked myself, what am I doing? This is crazy. I mean, I've already established life down here. I have a job and I'm leaving because someone left me and I think I'm going to be unhappy. I mean, not that I was suddenly feeling better. It just struck me that it was strange that I was packing up my life because a part of my life had changed. And I was just making this rash, quick, not well thought out decision that was going to shift my living arrangement and my reality completely. Talk about a huge upheaval in life. I wanted to just change everything. I didn't even give myself a chance to grieve. But I was young and that was my first long-term relationship and I didn't really know how to grieve. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know this was a normal part of life. I didn't want to believe that breaking up with someone was a normal part of life. But it is. And it hurts. And I don't want to do it. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to go through that unless they want to break up. But the people who don't want to break up with someone that go through a breakup, it is painful. And it's worse for some people than it is for others. And I had a fear of abandonment and I was highly dependent on my partner and I was very clingy and, and I also feared being alone. I mean, there was a lot of dysfunctions that I got fulfilled by being in a relationship. But, you know, as I've talked about before, 
when you have all these dependencies on someone and they have a job to create function from your dysfunctions or fulfill what's missing in you, that's a lot of pressure on someone. And the more pressure you put on someone, the more likely they're going to distance themselves from you. And you may not think you're putting pressure on them. I used to think that uh, loving her and giving her all this attention and always wanting to be with her was something that she'd want. But it turned out it was clingy and dependent and like a little puppy following her around all the time. And that drove her away. That caused her to distance herself emotionally from me. And then after a couple years near the end of the relationship, distance herself physically completely from me where she just was gone. That was it. Then when it was over, it was over. There was no love anymore. I mean, there was love, but not the feeling of being in love. She was gone and she needed to do that. She needed to protect herself, to be in a safer space with herself because I put so much pressure on her because of my dysfunctions. And, you know, dysfunctions come from old traumas, old neglects, old interpretations as a kid when you are with your caretakers and you misinterpret things they do to you or say to you, or you interpret them correctly because they are neglectful or they are abusive or hurtful. We take everything that happened to us as a child and with our child brain, turn it into something that we can understand. And then when we grow up, we have these learnings from childhood that we take with us into our adult relationships and then we either stay that child in the relationship with all of our triggers or we become a new person by dealing with our triggers and understanding that the dysfunctions that we might have and we may not call them dysfunctions I call them dysfunctions but I didn't know back then they were dysfunctions but when we learn about these things either listening to shows like this or going to therapy or just figuring it out for yourself, then it's important to address them so that they don't cause a strain on any of your relationships. I mean, any of your relationships. You can have a dysfunction that causes tension between you and family or you and friends. I mean, I've heard from people that have had friends for 20 years. I think one of my clients, she had a friend for over 20 years, and she didn't realize how much dysfunction there was between them because her friend was doing behavior that was emotionally harmful. And she had to distance herself from this friend, and it was difficult because they were friends, but uh, this client that I worked with, she didn't realize all that time that it was a dysfunctional relationship. But this is what happens when you start healing, working on yourself. You start to realize what dysfunctions are in your life and what you might need to do so that you don't have those anymore. And when you work on yourself, yes, you might lose relationships. Just like my girlfriend uh, back then, she decided that she needed to do something for herself, protect herself, be in a safer space, be with someone or not be with anyone so that she didn't feel this pressure that I put on her. And I'm, that's my words, pressure. I don't know what it felt like to her, but I'm assuming it felt like some sort of pressure, some sort of negative energy inside of her that when she was with me, it was wearing her out, it was wearing her down, and she may not have been able to explain exactly why she felt the way she felt, but after all my healing, after all my work, and after all the, the, the work I've done with clients and everything I've learned, I now realize all of my misbehaviors I realize that a lot of my behavior comes from my old traumas and my, old, my emotional triggers and the stuff I didn't really think was a problem in my life. Just like you might be walking around with things that you went through, emotional traumas or old emotional wounds that you don't think are a problem today, but they show up in ways that create problems in your life and you may not attribute it to what's going on or what had happened in your life in the past. So you have these relationships that seem to have tension in them and you think it's the other person or you think it's something else, but it could be something you're carrying around, some sort of old emotional wound. So it might be important to heal that. 
And the scary part of healing it is that you discover something that you don't want to discover about yourself and you become very vulnerable and it's very scary. And then you might have to take that leap I'm talking about. That leap into the unknown, that scary leap that might mean you learn something new or do something that you've never done before. And the reason I read this email at the beginning is because this person, it sounded like he didn't want to leave his job. He said he was in a dead-end job, but leaving was scary because what does that mean? That means maybe some deep, dark, primal fear of having no money. And if you have no money, you're going to starve. And if you starve, you're going to die. Fears that we attribute to the things in our life today often originate from a deeper place inside of us. So fear of not having a job could actually be a fear of dying at the deepest level. And I've talked about that in other episodes where you drill down into the fear to figure out where that fear comes from, why you have it, what it's about. And then when you do, you realize, oh, I'm not really afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of starving. I'm afraid of losing my life. Or I'm afraid of not taking care of my family or I'm not being able to take care of myself and being homeless and dying, like I said. And when you drill down into those fears and you discover the origin, you realize that maybe I shouldn't be so afraid of quitting my job because I'm holding on to some old stuff. I'm holding on to some old belief systems. And I'm not saying that if you lost your job, you wouldn't starve and die. I mean, sure, that's a possibility. Has it happened? <laughs> I'm asking you, has it happened? I'm not saying it couldn't. I look at my life and the fears that I carried around with me. And when I made the decision to quit a job, when I knew there was no money uh, after I quit, and we were already going to the soup kitchen, I had to face the fear that we were going to end up starving or dying. I had to face it. And I look back at it today and I realize that's an unrealistic fear. But at the same time, it was a real fear to me. I was carrying around a deep primal fear of dying at the deepest level because I knew money is how we buy food. Money is how we get around and you know transportation and how we pay for clothes and shelter and all kinds of things. I knew money was the way we run the world. So I had a rigid belief system that you must have money to survive. But then I had no money. <laughs> One day I just had no money. I was married at the time. We had no money. And we ended up going to the soup kitchen every morning. And I realized, oh, so having no money doesn't necessarily mean death. So I had to change my belief system. Having no money doesn't mean death? Ah, uh, how do I wrap my head around that? I don't know what to do with that information. Well, one thing that happened was realizing that if having no money doesn't mean death, then I don't have to fear having no money. You know what that does? It releases you. It takes all the pressure off. If you can get into this space, it takes all the pressure off. And that pressure is what we put on ourselves thinking, oh God, if I walk into the boss's office and quit and I have no money, then what? I'm going to die or I'm not going to be able to take care of my kids or you know, a number of things. And again, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. It absolutely could happen. It absolutely could. But I look at my 50 years on this earth and I look back and every time I had no money, I somehow made it through. I somehow made it. I know that's not a success story that everyone has, but I didn't die. So what does that mean? That means I had to shift my perceptions. I had to understand that having no money doesn't mean death anymore. So what does it mean? And I came to some conclusions that it means less options. Sure, having no money means less options. Doesn't mean no options because I still had options. So I really had to adopt the belief that having no money doesn't equal death. And when I did that, uh, like I said, I shifted. I moved into a new space inside myself 
And that allowed me to quit a job when I needed the money most because I hated the job. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to work there. I felt like a prisoner at that job. And three weeks into it, I just, I had to leave. But I felt stuck. I felt like if I stay, that I would just be miserable for whatever the rest of the time I was there, the rest of my life, whatever belief I had back then. And I didn't want to quit because I knew I needed the money. But after talking to my wife at the time, I decided to quit because she supported it. And suddenly I was free. I was free of the emotional prison that I felt like I was in. Uh, that's very dramatic, but I hated it there <laughs> and I didn't want to be there anymore. And going back to the soup kitchen was amazing because of that huge realization that having no money doesn't mean I'm going to die. So I was able to resolve an old fear that I had that when you run out of money, that is the worst case scenario because it wasn't. But that's a big leap. I understand some people can't take that leap. You may not be able to take that leap. And I can't even tell you with 100% certainty that that's true. Everything I just said for you. For me, it was because here I am. I'm still alive. I made it through. I'm still surviving. I'm still on this earth. I'm still able to eat every day. And I consider myself very lucky, very grateful. And that's what hitting the bottom can do as well is make you feel very grateful for everything else, for everything in your life. Because once you hit the bottom, there's nowhere else to go. And then once you start climbing out of the bottom or up, then you realize how much you really have and you realize how much other people don't have and how bad your story, somebody else's story is 10 times worse. And you just go through this transformation. It's an enlightening phase. And this enlightenment helps you gain a new perspective so that you don't have such a negative outlook and it takes you out of any type of blah or depressed state. I talked about that a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago about how you can be in these blah states and you don't feel like there's a way out, but you might have to hit bottom. And uh, the reason I'm telling you all this is because uh, this email, this person felt like he hit bottom. I mean, the email I read, he said that he felt anxiety all the time. It's just, and he keeps falling back into the same loop where he feels like life is going nowhere. So he was at a loss. He didn't know what to do. And when I got the email, I wasn't sure what to tell him at first because what do you do when your entire life is against you? What do you do when you are really down and out and you don't know if you can ever get out of this hole? First thing I always say is everything is temporary. I mean, we've heard this. Everything always changes. Change is all there is. As great as that is for someone who's down and out, it doesn't sound so great for someone who has everything they want. <laughs> if you are in a great situation, like I thought I was with my first girlfriend, I thought I was in a great situation, and then suddenly she's gone. And so you'd start developing a resilience for life, and you realize, oh, like I said earlier, this is part of life. This is what's supposed to happen. I don't like this. That's how I felt. I don't like this. But this is how it's supposed to be. Change is supposed to happen. It is a part of being alive. It is a part of existing. And some people might think, well, that's too painful. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to go through that pain. The pain doesn't last, though. The pain is temporary. And if it's not temporary for you, then you might have to take a leap, that leap of faith that I'm talking about. And what this person did is decide that even though he was in a dead-end job and his life is pretty terrible right now and he really didn't believe there was a way out of it, he wrote back and said, you know what, I dealt with this dead-end job for a long time and I dealt with this anxiety, but... I decided to quit this job. I decided to take that leap. I mean, my words. I decided to do something different. And because I took that leap, my life opened up. It expanded. It changed. My anxiety got better. I stopped taking drugs. I am grateful for what I have now. I am grateful for you, Paul. He gave me a compliment, and I am very honored by this. But 
He did all the work. He was in a place that he probably felt like it would never change. And when you're in a place that you feel like will never change, you have to make the change. You have to take the steps. You have to move into a new place. And what that means is you might have to take a leap that you fear taking or that you believe might be the end of you. Don't take that literally. I just mean sometimes we carry around a fear so deep that we think we're going to die. That's the origin of that fear sometimes is that he might have believed that changing jobs or quitting his job might be the end for him because everything else is going terrible in his life and if he has no money, then that'll probably be the end. But something motivated him, something compelled him to take those steps, to take a leap, to make a change in his life just for something different. And this is sort of my point with this segment is that if it's not changing, you might need to make that change and you might need to do something that is very, very scary. But I'd like to ask, what do you got to lose? Because when you think it's the worst it's going to get and it'll never get better, then why not take a leap of faith? Why not do something big? Why not change something about your life, even though you might have a belief that doing it might be the final nail in the coffin? And I'm not talking about suicide. I'm not talking about ending your life. I'm not talking about that at all. That's the opposite of what I'm talking about. Because when you're at the bottom of the hole, sometimes the only way to climb up and out of the hole is to take a scary step into the unknown or into what you fear. Because like I said, what do you got to lose? When you're already down and out, you're depressed and nothing's going your way and you feel stuck and you don't think life's ever going to get better, then you know something has to change. And you might have to be the one to change it. You might have to be the one to take that big scary step into an unknown future that might just change your life for the better. And this is what this person did And I'm so glad that he wrote back and shared this with me so that I could share this with you and maybe give you some motivation, encouragement to do something or make a decision that maybe it's time to make. Maybe not. (laughs) I don't know where you are in life. Maybe your life is going great and there's no big decision you have to make. Maybe you're not there. But I know someone needs to hear this now and I hope it helps you. We'll be right back after this. if you are still afraid of making those big decisions or you're not even sure what step to take next, maybe BetterHelp can help you. BetterHelp is an online counseling service. They have all kinds of professional therapists that are waiting to help you and their system works by you sending them messages or being on the phone with them or doing video call. It's all online. It's all available for you where you don't have to get into your car and drive somewhere unless it's to a park or a coffee shop and you want to talk or chat with them there, Uh, but you don't have to go to their office. And this is great because that means you get your choice of therapist when you sign up on their system and they'll assess your needs and they'll match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you'll get to connect in a safe and private online environment. Very convenient And as soon as you sign up, you can start communicating in under 24 hours. And when you're in their system, you can send them a message anytime. And you'll get timely, thoughtful responses along with your weekly video or phone sessions. And this is all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. I've been in those waiting rooms. (laughs) And yes, they can be very uncomfortable. Uh, But if you are dealing with depression or stress or anxiety like this last person who wrote or you're having problem in your relationship maybe you're having problems sleeping or you have some old trauma or anger everything you share with them is confidential 
And my favorite part is it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And financial aid is even available. So check it out over at betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp.com forward slash brain. And uh, as a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off your first month. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Betterhelp.com forward slash brain. All right. Welcome back. Uh, there's a message that I received that I want to read to you. I have to pull it up here. I'm not prepared at all. <laughs> I had a, uh, an episode a few weeks back that I asked the question, hey, if you have something going on in your life that you can't figure out what to do, the internet is your best friend. Just look up what's happening in your life and you could probably find a solution or a group a group of people that have gone through similar things or are going through those things now or something out there that helps you understand your problem and maybe even get through your problem and maybe out of your problem. Now, there's a lot of solutions out there. There's a lot of answers, but that doesn't mean you're ready for the answer. That doesn't mean you're ready to change your life or take big steps. So it is kind of difficult to look for your problem on the internet, then apply the solution because your situation might be different than somebody else's. Somebody else might have enough resources to do what they need to do and you may not. Somebody else might have uh, the courage to take a big step regardless of the consequences and you may not be there. And it could be the other way around. Somebody else may not be there. They didn't have the courage and they did it anyway. And you do have the courage, but your brain kicks in and says, that's crazy because when I do that, XYZ is going to happen. And if XYZ happens, then I'm in a whole heap of trouble. How do I get out of that trouble? So I pose the concept that somebody has gone through or is going through now what you are going through. Somebody out there and most people are on the internet nowadays and a lot of people talk about their challenges and create Facebook groups and other groups where they discuss their challenges. So it can be a little easier to find other people to connect to and relate to when it comes to your issue. I think a big challenge that comes up for a lot of people is that they don't want to talk about their problems online with strangers. <laughs> Yet I do that every week talk about my problem with a lot of strangers. However, I don't consider anyone that listens to this show a stranger. I consider them either a friend or a partner in crime or a partner in emotional intelligence, a fellow emotional warrior going through life, tackling all the challenges, or at least working on tackling the challenges and going through healing. Whatever healing is for you. Healing could be very minor. It could be something simple. It could be an emotional response to something that you don't like having, so you want to change that. Or it could be something huge, some abuse that you dealt with in your past or maybe are dealing with now or some trauma that you went through. We all have different levels of healing and growth and what I like to call personal evolution, that we reach this new level inside of us that once we heal from something and learn from that thing and it no longer gives us that negative feeling that we have evolved in some way. Now, this doesn't include people that we miss, things that we feel bad that we did in our past. I'm pretty much talking about the things that happened to us because there are things that I did in my past that I'll probably never erase the negative feeling about. Never. And that's okay. I, I think it's a reminder. I think when we feel bad about something we did in our past, then that reminder is incentive not only for us to act better now and in the future, but also as an opportunity to reflect. I think when we feel bad about something we did, it's an opportunity to reflect on it and gain some more wisdom. There's always more wisdom in reflecting on something that we did. So if you feel bad about something, it's okay to reflect on it. 
And I believe it's okay to feel bad. You know, you're going to have to grieve a little bit. You're going to have to mourn whatever it was. If it's a loss of a friend or a family or the loss of love somewhere, or you hurt someone and you feel bad about it, I think it's good. I think it's good to feel bad because it shows that you have heart. It shows that you have compassion. It shows that you have empathy. It shows that you're a good person. And if you weren't such a good person back then, you are now. Because feeling bad about something you did, it shows heart. It shows an emotional connection that uh, some people don't have. Some people will go out there and hurt others and not care. So if you feel bad, you care. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> it's a huge thing. And I want you to be proud of that. Be proud of feeling bad. <laughs> but the reason I say that is because you want a reminder that you are a good person and feeling bad is a reminder. You may not need this reminder. You may not like this reminder, but it's a good reminder. It's a good reminder that you have it in you to connect with someone at a deeper level that other people may not be able to do. And I'm only talking about people that don't feel this connection or don't feel bad for being hurtful or abusive. And because you are this way, you are most likely never going to make that same mistake again. People who empathize, people who have compassion, people who are emotionally connected to themselves and others usually do the best they can now and always try to do better next time. Now, if you're not that person, if you're not the type of person who feels bad for doing something hurtful to someone else, I really don't believe you're listening right now. And if you are, maybe you're being forced to. Maybe your partner or your friend or somebody in your life said, you need to listen to the show and you need to learn what you need to learn so you'll stop treating me this way. I've had that happen. It happens over at my other podcast, Love and Abuse, about emotionally abusive relationships. And um, people that need to be guided to listen to something like this, they're either going to walk away with more resistance or they're going to walk away with hopefully something that they didn't know before that helps them, that maybe makes them realize what they're doing is probably hurtful, or they don't think it applies to them. There are those probably three typical responses. And the third option where they don't think it applies to them, they are either not ready to hear what I'm talking about, or they just don't want to reflect. They just don't want to go inside and consider that they may have any hurtful behavior in them. And those are the kind of people that you have to be more careful of. You have to be careful that people that hurt you or are toxic, and when they are told that they are hurtful or toxic and they don't reflect on it, we just have to be careful around those people because they may not be the type that are going to connect with you in a way that is helpful or maybe supportive because they're just not in that space. I mean, I really feel like in my life that I am not a hurtful person. So when my girlfriend says, what you just said hurt me, but she usually says it in a different way, maybe with an expletive or two, uh, <laughs> I have to stop and think, whoa, what just happened here? Because I don't believe I'm a hurtful person. So, you know, my ego kicks in and says, that's not true. I may not say this out loud, but I'll, oh, I might actually say this out loud. I might say, that's not true. I didn't hurt you, but that's an invalidation. And I catch myself and say, okay, no, I don't want to invalidate because what she is experiencing is her experience. It's her reality. So I need to check in with myself. Did what I just say hurt her? You know, it's still my ego fighting this because that wasn't my intention. There's my thoughts going off. My intention wasn't to hurt her. It was to, what, teach her something, tell her a truth that she didn't know or something else. But she is experiencing hurt and I love her and I don't want her to feel hurt. So regardless if what I did was intentional or not, I have to reflect. I have to stop. I have to get out of my head, out of my ego and reflect on what I just said and how I made her feel or how she took it and take responsibility for my role in what just happened so that I can figure out how it devolved to being a hurtful situation. 
what that does by reflecting on this is give me the wisdom to not do it the same way again and connect with her in a way that is validating and allows me to see it from her perspective, which is empathy, I mean part of it, and it's educational for me to understand that how I come across might be hurtful. When you are with someone like this, or if you are like this, I believe it is an enlightened state of being. It's not full enlightenment, but you are probably more emotionally connected even during an argument And you are probably willing to back off your attachment to being right even during the peak of the heat of the argument. And that's probably one of the most powerful lessons I've learned is when her and I are in this heated conversation or even an argument. I mean, we're not screaming. We're not throwing furniture. We're just having a very heated conversation And I believe I'm right and she believes she's right. And I can't really convey my message very well. And she's trying to convey a message and I'm not understanding it. Lots of miscommunication and I'm sure lots of misinterpretation. All because we can't necessarily express in a way that really gets our message across. That conveys our intentions are true. Yet they are still laced with some sort of toxic element. I know that's hard to explain but... When you get into these heated discussions or full-on arguments, are you both capable of listening to the other person and stepping out of yourself so when they say something that makes sense or that is right, you step out of your ego and acknowledge, okay, you have a point, but you might want to continue talking about it, which is fine. Are you capable of doing this so that you aren't so entrenched in the argument and the attachment to being right that you forget about the bigger picture of wanting to be in a loving, supportive relationship and that you actually love the other person? That's kind of the thought that comes to mind when I'm in this heated space. Fortunately, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. I think it happens to the best of us that have learned everything we can, all the tools that we know. It's going to happen. There's always going to be a misinterpretation, a miscommunication, or some sort of misunderstanding that we are going to have to battle it out. (laughs) I hate to put it that way, but sometimes it feels that way. We battle it out with our words, and we don't necessarily want to hurt each other, but we just want to get our point across and feel like we are understood and they are validating what we are saying. So we put this stuff out there and we just want them to acknowledge it and say we're right and then everything will be great. But it's even better when you're willing to step back and say you might be right. You know what? That's a good point. You know, I did not consider that and I might have to reflect on that. I might have to think about that for a while. When you can step into that space you know what it does. It allows the other person to do the same thing because it's so rare that when you're in a loving, supportive relationship that when you decide to step back and step out of your ego and reflect and say, you know what? That's a good point. They feel safe enough to do the same thing. Again, in a loving, supportive, non-controlling, non-manipulative relationship, a healthy relationship. When one of you is willing to do that, the other one usually feels safe enough to do it too. Because I can't tell you how many times I've done that and my girlfriend uh, later on, typically, not in the moment, comes back and says, I'm sorry I was so harsh with you. I'm sorry I said all those words. And then we talk about it and we apologize to each other and everything is great. It's amazing to me what happens when I let go and just step out of myself and put my ego in the back seat for now and just allow myself to be vulnerable in that moment, which is the scariest moment in the heat of it. Uh, But when I do it, she no longer feels like she has to have the big guns out. And um, it works both ways. When she does it, I no longer feel like I have have to have the big guns out. You know, our fight or flight kicks in, and suddenly we're either ferocious or we're submissive or whatever it is. But when you have two strong personalities verbally duking it out, That could go all kinds of ways. (laughs) That could go all kinds of ways. So we have to be very careful 
about how much we're investing into the argument versus how much we're investing into the bigger picture of love and connection. So this is where I go. I mean, when I'm in the middle of an argument in any type of heated debate, I remember the big picture of love and connection, and that helps me let go of the attachment to being right. And it helps me listen and learn and understand and back down a little bit even if there's a point that I need to make, I, I need to help deflate the negative energy in this situation because it doesn't help our connection. It helps to fuel our defensiveness or offensiveness. And um, when we take that fuel away, then we become our normal selves again. We, we start to relax around each other and our fangs go back in our, into our mouths <laughs> and our talons start to retract from our hands and now we can have a conversation and then there's love again. It may not happen right away, but when the bigger picture is love and connection, it can and does happen again. And this isn't a healthy relationship where there's not one person that's trying to dominate, trying to be the authoritarian or disciplinarian, and you have to be submissive or they have to be submissive. It doesn't work with an unbalanced relationship like that. With two healthy personalities that support each other normally, that support can still come during a, an argument or heated conversation. But the whole reason I brought all that stuff up is because the person wrote to me and said, you know, I'm having this situation that I can't find on the internet. I don't even know this is related to what I just said, but it kind of went off on a tangent. But this person wrote to me and said, hey, Paul, the podcast you created that's called When Loved Ones Resist Your Decisions you mentioned how the internet is a source for support and how there is someone out there just like you. And if you can't find anything like your situation, you would like to know and maybe suggest something. And this person wrote, I think it's a woman. She said, I think that's me. I'm a spouse of a retired veteran. I'm in a remote area. I deal with various forms of abuse, not physical. And I'd like to speak with uh, former spouses who left or even someone I could share living expenses with, preferably military. We've been retired for years. I just have no more inner strength. So, wow, I mean, that sounds like a no way out situation. It sounds like a very, not only frustrating, but it just sounds like she doesn't feel like she could ever get out of this situation. She's looked online to figure out what's my next step and it doesn't sound like she found it. So I brought this up because I believe a good starting point is the Facebook group that I created, the, the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group, where there's all kinds of personalities in there. There's all kinds of people that have gone through their things. I've seen questions come up that say, I'm thinking about doing this. I, I have done this. What should I do next? And there's just so many brilliant replies. And everyone has different backgrounds. Everyone has had different relationships. Everyone has had different jobs. There's all kinds of people in there. And when you can't find a solution, I think that's a good place to start. That's not because I want to promote this group. I think the group has grown on its own organically just fine, and it continues to grow. And it's a free group. It's a group that anyone can join. I've seen so many conversations and questions just like this one that gives the group a chance to let people like you know, this person who wrote, exactly what they did in your situation. So I highly recommend you join the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group. It is a free group. It is a safe group. It's probably the safest place on the internet. I believe that this group attracts the right people and people can share their struggles in there and feel safe doing it. It's a private group. So anything that you post in there, no one else can see outside of the group and it'll always stay that way. So it's available to you. So the person who wrote to me, this group is available. It's a great place to start. And I'm not saying that every single answer that you'll ever have a question for is going to be in there, but I guarantee there's direction. There's, there's a start. And sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes you just need a start. And so for anyone who heard that episode where I said, hey, if you have a problem that you can't find the solution for in the internet, uh, this is one of the steps you might want to take. Join the Overwhelmed Brain Empowerment Group on Facebook. And for those of you who don't have a Facebook account, you didn't hear this from me, but 
Uh, <laughs> sometimes you can uh, make a fake account. <laughs> I'm not saying you should make a fake account, but I'm also not not saying that <laughs> if you don't want to be on Facebook. But you didn't hear that from me, and I'm not saying that it's a good idea. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for joining. I'm going to end the show shortly. I'm going to come back with my thank yous and goodbyes and my final words. And um, I'll see you on the other side of this music transition. <laughs> we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to head over to BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain, and you'll get 10% off your first month. BetterHelp.com forward slash brain. And I want to thank the patrons of the week. These are the monthly financial backers of the show that I am so, so grateful for because this is why I'm here. This is why I keep coming out, not because I'm getting paid, because the show uh, requires money to operate and there's all kinds of fees that come with it. So yes, they're paying for the show and they're also giving in the sense that they feel like they're getting value. And I mean, at least that's how I word it. They may not word it that way, but this is how I see it is people who get value from the show. If they can give back in this way, they will. And if they can't, I'm okay with that too. But I always love to thank a few patrons at the end of each episode and the following patrons I am grateful for for their contributions brad and clarissa Lori, steven longtime member jennifer very longtime member ron and chelsea and linda chris holly jamie wow another longtime member i'm i'm sure there's some i missed there's a lot of longtime members here and angel wow thank you so much all of you i am grateful for your support and if you find value in the show head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you can show your support that way, either through a monthly donation or a one-time donation. And uh, if you do the monthly donation, you'll get access to the patron program, which allows you to listen to the private episodes that I've never released and the workbooks and worksheets that I have in there and a video archive and all kinds of helpful stuff. So I give back in the patron program as well. Again, thank you, patrons, and head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com if you're interested in that. And I mentioned Love and Abuse. The Love and Abuse podcast is my other show. I've been doing it since uh, February of 2019. And uh, it talks about toxic behavior and poisonous communication, typically in relationships. And it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It can be a family or friend or platonic or work relationship. Anytime there's toxic behavior, any type of uh, controlling or intimidation or bullying or manipulation, anything that really makes you feel bad uh, or you just don't want to face and you just don't know how to get out from under that kind of behavior, then Love and Abuse might be the show that you want to listen to. Go over to loveandabuse.com and check it out. That's also where I sell uh, the workbook for difficult relationships. It's called the Mean Workbook and it gives you a checklist along with all kinds of um, information on what to look for in a toxic relationship and it might be what you're looking for. That's over at loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I had something else to talk about today, but I'm just going to throw this in instead. Um, this kind of came to mind while I was recording this today, and it is the following, which is stop getting upset at other people for violating boundaries that you haven't made clear. Let me repeat that. Stop getting upset at other people for violating boundaries that you haven't made clear. The reason I say that is because I was the biggest violator of this rule most of my life. I would not like my boss for asking me to work the weekend because he should know better. He should know that it upsets me. He should know that I don't like working weekends. And here he is, or she over the years, they're asking me to work the weekend and that upsets me and they know it upsets me. They must see my face. They must hear my frustration. Why do they keep doing it? So I got upset at them. But I never told them that that was a boundary. 
This may not be the best example, but it's true. I never told them that I don't like working weekends, so they continued to ask me. And guess what I did? I continued to say yes. Even if they knew that I didn't like it, they can still ask, but I didn't give myself the option to say yes or no. I just said yes. I said, oh, fine. <laughs> fine, I'll do it. Because, you know, I wanted to help out. I'm a helpful guy. I like to make sure that um, our team and our company is doing great. And I know that I'm a good worker and I could probably work things out over the weekend and finish a project over a weekend. I know that I was all these things, but I still got upset or at least perturbed at the people asking me to do it when they knew I didn't want to do it. But I never said, you know what, I'm going to take this weekend off, so I'm going to say no. I never said that. Oh, that might be risky, though. If I did that, that might be risky. It might get me fired. Yeah, it could. It could get you fired. But who's going to fire you for honoring your boundaries? And if they did, really, do you want to work for that kind of person? And, you know, this is a terrible thing to say because right now a lot of people need jobs and they don't want to get fired. And you may not want to take this advice. And I totally get it. I totally get it. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would take my own advice right now if I had to report to a boss that said that I needed to work and I didn't want to work that day. I might not do it. At the same time, I have to ask myself, can I live with myself? And, you know, my answer might be, well, yes, it's only one time. Of course I can live with myself. Of course I can do this one time. But what if something happened in your life over and over again and you got more and more upset with that person all because you believe they should know better and they should know it's upsetting you. My question is, have you ever made that boundary clear? Have you ever said, you know what? I'm not going to do that and I don't want you to ask me anymore. Again, the work situation might be a bad example, but let's just say it's your friend that says, hey, will you watch our dog again when we go on our month-long cruise? Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe that's something that you really are sick of because you've done it a lot and you lose all your personal time and you have to walk the dog six times a day and it just takes up a lot of your energy. But you've done it in the past and you don't want to look bad and you don't want to cause any tension with the relationship. So normally you might say yes, but what if you didn't? What if you chose to say, you know what, that takes a lot of energy and I'm just not going to have that time or energy this month? Or something like that. What if you said that? That might cause some tension in the relationship. But why would that be? Because friends who care about you, they care about your time. They care about your energy. They care about your happiness. So I do ask you to consider that your no, your quote N-O, is an opportunity to find out who really cares about your well-being. And that could be a wholly unfair statement to make because what I'm saying is, oh, you're saying that if someone gets upset that I say no, that they don't really care about me. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I, I know there are exceptions. I know there are. I know that you might say no to someone and they get upset because, okay, uh, you normally do that. But this time you're not going to do it? Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, there's a little bit of selfishness in there. If I said, hey, you know what, can you watch my dog for a month while I go on this great cruise where I don't have to worry about things? And you said, you know, I can't do it this time. I can't. If I said, you can't, well, who am I supposed to go to then? I don't know who else to ask. Now I'm starting to make you feel guilty. What kind of friend does that? That's not a friendly, supportive thing to do. Well, okay, fine. I get it. You don't want to walk my dog six times a day, and uh, it takes a lot of time and energy, but what else are you doing throughout the day? Okay, now I'm pushing you against the wall, trying to make you feel guilty again, and I'm also forcing you to reveal things that I can challenge you on, because if you say, well, you know, I like to read, I might challenge you on that, you know, if I was a jerk, and I might say, Oh, read? You could probably read an ebook while you're on your phone and walking your dog. So now I'm trying to get you to comply with what I want you to do again 
ignoring your request, ignoring the boundary that you put out there. And so I might do it that way, again, if I was a jerk. And then I might continue and say, look, okay, fine. You know what? You don't want to walk my dog. That's fine. I'll never ask again. Now I'm being a real jerk. <laughs> now I'm saying, fine. You know what? This friendship doesn't matter to me. And the fact that you said no is a clear indicator that you don't like me and you don't care about my happiness. So now they're again trying to make you feel guilty and trying to turn it around and saying that you don't care about my happiness. So I, I think I lost the point of reference here, but I think I'm the one saying this. Uh, so I'm saying, okay, fine, I'll never ask you again, which sounds like there's going to be tension in this relationship from this point on. And I'm expecting you to submit to something that I want, but I won't give you any room to want something for yourself. I only want what I want, and you have to comply in order for me to be happy. If you don't comply, then I'm not happy, and I'm going to make sure that you know that you did this to me. Even though I set it up in a way that would make you feel guilty if you said no. Or I'm setting it up as I go, because once you did say no, now I have all these tactics and techniques to make you feel bad. And that's emotional abuse. I mean, that's clear emotional abuse. When someone ignores your happiness and well-being in order to manipulate the outcome that they want, then are they really a loving, kind person to you? Are they really a friend? Are they really a good partner? Are they really a good coworker? Are they really a good mother-in-law? <laughs> because if that turnaround happens where they make you the bad guy for honoring your boundaries, you need to wake up if you haven't. You need to snap out of the guilt phase and snap into the awareness phase of what's really going on. So like I said, I was going to talk about something else, but the thought of getting upset at others when they're violating our boundaries that we haven't made clear uh, yes, we could state our boundary and that scenario could unfold like I outlined, but this gives us an opportunity to turn on our awareness to what's really happening. And once you turn on your awareness and you stand up for yourself and make your boundaries clear and the person that you're making those boundaries clear to decides to make you feel bad or guilty or say that the friendship is ruined because of you, then what kind of relationship did you really have in the first place? Because that doesn't sound like a relationship at all. That just sounds like somebody who is happy that they could utilize you or use you whenever they wanted. So we have to be careful when we develop relationships like that. And it almost always comes down to our ability to enforce our boundaries or not. And if you feel guilty for enforcing your boundaries because the other person makes you feel bad about yourself, then your approach to this is all wrong. And you have to see this relationship as something different. You have to see it for what it is. There's a control or manipulation mechanism in there. And you just have to be careful not to amplify that or bring it out. Or maybe you just have to disconnect from that person to protect yourself. So coming back to getting upset at others for violating boundaries that you haven't made clear, they could get upset at you for making your boundaries clear. And I wanted to emphasize their upset at you for making your boundaries clear because that's probably why we don't often make our boundaries clear. We probably don't want to draw that line with certain people because we don't want to upset them. But just remember, people who love and support you want you to have boundaries. They want to know what's acceptable and what's not. For example, I, I think I kissed my girlfriend on the back of the neck once. I love doing that. Kiss my girlfriend on the back of the neck. She got creeped out. <laughs> she got creeped out. Not because it was me, but because it reminds her of something that happened in her past. And she didn't like it at all. And she still doesn't like it today. So I stopped doing it. But imagine if she never told me that she got creeped out when I kissed her on the back of the neck. She just 
decided to accept it because he's my boyfriend and I'm supposed to like it and I shouldn't have this reaction because he's my boyfriend. So I'll just get that creeped out feeling and deal with it and swallow my emotions and just get through the moment. That would be pretty awful because what would build up inside of her every time I did that is her associating me with creepiness. I don't want that. I'm so glad she said something. I mean, it was offensive at first. I was like, what? I'm your boyfriend. I should be able to kiss you on the back of the neck. What's wrong with that? That's the first reaction. But then I realize, of course, we all have our emotional triggers and our physical triggers. So we have to be careful when somebody says, oh, I don't like that. We comply. Oh, I'm sorry. I won't do that again. Okay, great. Wonderful. There's no creepy feeling. There's no weird feeling. There's no negativity. So I had to get into that space when it happened. I mean, it never happened to me before. I've never had anyone I'm with say anything like that, but she said it. I'm grateful for that so that she does not associate me with creepiness. And I haven't done that ever since. I might have done it once on the side, um, but I didn't get that response again. But I haven't pushed it and I kind of left it be. But it's helpful for me to know this. And I'm so glad she drew that line and said, I don't like this. Okay, I won't cross that line. And it makes our relationship better. That's what boundaries do. They make relationships better. So if you have someone that doesn't honor your boundaries or gets upset that you have boundaries and they want to violate them anyway, you have to consider what type of relationship that is. And if that's something that you want to live with and accept. Because people who love you and support you want you to have boundaries. Not only because they want you to feel comfortable in your own skin, but because they'll know how to show up in your life. If they know your boundaries and they honor those boundaries, then because they love and support you, they know that honoring those boundaries will make you happy, or at least happier. They should know this. And if they don't want to honor your boundaries, then that's a different type of relationship that you might need to have a talk about or a reconsideration about. Just some food for thought in case you're dealing with anything like that. Learning to honor your boundaries has changed my life. It really has. It's changed every aspect of my life because it makes me feel comfortable in my own skin. I want you to feel comfortable in your own skin. I want you to feel good inside yourself because that is your temple. Your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, whatever you are made up of is that sacred space inside of you that you should feel the most comfortable and when you tell others how you'll feel comfortable with them or anything in your life, they should want that for you as well. That's my opinion. I hope this helps. Thanks for joining me today. And like always, keep an open mind because I want you to be able to step into your power and create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.